Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. But do you get excited when Monte gets eight rebounds, or do you get upset that he steals so many rebounds? Monte got eight rebounds. Ooh, big Monte. <laughs> what is up, everybody? Welcome in to the DMVR Nuggets podcast. Let's go. Where's Eric? What the hell? He's like backstage there. All right, we'll give him his own person. There he is, his own introduction. What the hell's going on here? Why even have a producer? What is happening? What is happening here right now? So many different little things. Uh, guys, we're presented as always by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code DNVR whenever you sign up. You can bet on the Colorado Avalanche. Ever heard of them? They begin their title defense tonight. Guys, we have the best Avs coverage in all the world. I know not everybody here is an Avs fan, but if you are and you're missing out on DNVR Avalanche, you guys are missing out on a hilarious and wild and extremely insightful and passionate crew. Those guys might like hockey and the Avs specifically more than anybody in the DNVR universe likes their team, respectively. Mm. Like those guys, they scout the Swedish B League for 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 pro, uh prospects and stuff they're they're insane yeah i didn't think anybody could get as excited about a prospect as we get about every single prospect that the nuggets have but the <laughs> the abs crew just outdoes us there yeah is they that, really is that the most hardcore sports fandom hockey oh. it might be it oh. feels like it. it's be- it's because it's 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 ex- exclusive to itself it allows for no other sports to enter its realm and so you have all season all year to think only about hockey and ho- and nothing else yeah I forgot my light, guys. Look how well lit I am now. Oh, oh look at you. And Adam, Adam, you misspoke. You said it. this is their title defense, and I understand it's a Freudian slip. The Avalanche should have won last year. They were good did enough. I say they title won. Defense? Yes, you did. <laughs> all the same, this is they by all rights should have won last year. This is the year that they finish their business. Unfinished business. That, this, the first step in jumping on a bandwagon, Adam. Look at what they did last year. That's, that's <laughs> first the first of all, step. obviously, no, I just, I, what do you call this? A title quest. <laughs> title quest. That's right. Title quest. Pursuit that's even? Yeah. Uh, guys, I got the full squad here minus Deb. I got Harrison win it. And guess what? Today, he broke out the hair. I thought something was different. Yeah, the people were asking for it. It was time. It was time. <laughs> I love Harrison's like faux arrogance about it. It's my favorite thing. Uh, down here, I got Brendan Vote. Do you guys ever think about what working with Dev is really like? Like at an adult job? <laughs> is he just in a meeting? <laughs> is that what you've calls? been thinking about all day? Yeah, just what's that like? You've got a really serious situation on hand and you got to call Dev for a solution. I, I imagine he's just like George Costanza. Like he's mastered the like, I'm busy in here. And everybody's <laughs> yeah. constantly like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll just leave you alone. He's like, that's ah. true. Uh, and then over here, I've got uh, D-Line Kobe. You guys all call him Eric. 
That's right. Uh, it is my given name, as a, a reminder. It is the my actual name. Eric is my oh. actual name. And you guys just don't, you can't not acknowledge how multifaceted Dev is. Dev will whisper into my ear the most troubling things I've ever heard another person say to me on live on the on the show. Christ and then I'll wake up on and then I'll wake up on Monday morning and I'll have a motivational speech that he's tweeted <laughs> out to give to the world to make sure that they are uh, achieving their highest highs. <laughs> Dev's my favorite motivational speaker for sure. Like I always like read those in his most trolly voice where I'm like, Me too. He's, making fun. he's, <laughs> yeah. he's so full of it. I don't know how that ever became his brand. Like out of all people for that to become their brand, he would have been my last choice. But now it. it's now it's great. I love that we're just flaming him and he's not even here today. He's probably not even watching. He'll never hear this. It's great. No way. Uh, guys, on the docket today, yesterday we had a, what many people were saying was the greatest show in, in DNVR Nuggets history. Why? Because we spent 90 minutes just talking about Jokic. Can't believe how much I enjoyed it. I listened to the show six different times in a row. That's just all I did. Wow. I just kept, that's how good it made you, me feel. You treated, it, you treated it like that clip we started the show with and just kept it going? <laughs> on a loop. <laughs> Uh, today, guys, we're moving on to another beloved Nugget. So beloved, in fact, that we have coined him Mr. Nugget. He's been Mr. Nugget, I believe, for three years running now, or at least two years running. Um, might be Mr. Nugget again next year. Big Game Tay, a.k.a. Monte Morris. Um, all right, let's get into it. Uh, we'll just go right off the top because I know yesterday we dilly-dallied and then uh, it ended up running 90 minutes. Um, the first note we have on here is the increase in workload. Uh, Eric, your microphone is really picking up your breathing. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Just as ahead, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable when you listen back to this and you have the... Well, let me think. Okay, well, you're making it worse right now for everybody. <laughs> Just pointing it out a little. Uh, I appreciate Monday it. Monte Morris started 74 games this year. Maybe the maybe uh, the private chat next time. It just, uh, oh, that's what the private chat <laughs> I'm hosting the show. I, Harrison, Hale, Vote could have brought this to your attention. And I, I'm in the private team. chat. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you're right. He increased. He played 61 games, uh, started last season, goes up to 74. Um, 29.9 minutes per game. This is the big one because it was almost, it was four and a half minutes more than he played last season. And this was one of my major questions coming into the year, Harrison, was can he handle the extra workload? Like, People don't understand. Not everybody can be a starter. You got to bring it every night. You got to play heavy minutes every single night. I thought that was the number one thing I you can take away almost just from like when you look at the stats was he played those minutes and it was never a storyline. He handled the minutes very well. Um, he performed like a starter. Uh, the minute load to me was a very encouraging thing. Yeah, he also didn't really get hurt at all this year. He was super durable. And I mean, it, it's interesting to talk about a player who just did everything that you expected him to and kind of nothing more, nothing less. I think Monte became a better shooter this season for sure. Uh, He shot more threes. I thought he had a quicker trigger, but other than that, like he was exactly the player I expected him to be. And like, this is who Monte Morris is. He he's solid. He's consistent. Um, He's going to play in every game pretty much. And, you know, he's going to help your team win. Like, Everything we talked about in the preseason, I would love to go back and watch our player preview for him because, like, everything we probably said came true. Like, he was just exactly what I expected. He did lead the team in game winners, as I there you go. We expected that as well, or somebody (laughs) did. How many? Uh, How many was that? Was that one or two? It was well, depending on how you count it. I was talking about final thirty seconds, game within one point. You know how do you do? But 
Eric, but to Harrison's point, one of the things about Monte that's kind of funny is he's so consistent and he's such a known commodity that we're going to talk about the ways in which I feel like he expanded his game this year or proved himself, you know, with an increased role. But at the same time, I do feel like we just kind of know who Monte was. And this year was in no way surprising. I mean, there was little things we learned, but none of it was surprising because we kind of get know who he is. Yeah, I mean, Monte Morris is he's a four year starter. Like he is a player that just sort of like uh, specializes in fundamentals. He just sort of does everything right. He's like not like he's not. A, I mean, he's Mr. Nugget because he's stately. He, he just like represents the Nuggets well, and he's just as like like just a he just seems like a generally good guy. He also knows everybody in the NBA. Um, yeah, but the yeah, thing about Monte Morris is like. Big time, yeah, big, big, big net Tay. Um, he, but the thing is, like, he just does, like you said, like, exact, he is the perfect prototypical backup point guard in the NBA, I believe. Like, he is, especially with a, a squad that maybe you can't rely upon as much. Um, there it is. It was like, <laughs> it was going all over the place. Oh. I knew it was gonna disappear. There he is. Are you back, Eric? Are you back with us? <laughs> he's out of here. He's out of here. Interesting uh, thing is he's sitting about 20 feet from me, but we must be on different Wi-Fi's. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, let's keep moving. Let's keep it moving here. 12.6 points per game. He increased his scoring by 2.4 points, but here's the thing. Basically in line, 0.7 or point, 0.7 points more per 36 minutes. Not really yeah. a meaningful increase in his scoring, just an increase in his minutes, and he handled it. So as a score vote, did you see anything out of him that surprised you? No, just we'll talk about, you know, the efficiency. He stayed efficient, right? I mean, with the increased sort of minutes, higher leverage minutes, attention from a defense as a starter and all of that. Um, he So he stayed at that Monte level despite sort of bumping it up. But, you know, he's going to be – I didn't expect him to get much more than that, to score much more than that. There's a cap on him, and it's a non-star cap. And so right. does he look like a reliable backup in an extended role? Yes, he did. And then there's just a hard ceiling, I think, on how dynamic he would look beyond that. But he did everything we, we hoped he would do on that end of the floor, I thought. And his efficiency did go up. Effective field goal from basically 55 to 56 and a half, which is pretty nice. True shooting from 57 to 58, basically a whole point or a whole percentage point up. Um, and then again, he took 10 field goal attempts a game for the first time in his career. So right. the fact that he went up in both volume and efficiency is super encouraging. I'm going to talk about why that's so encouraging here a little bit later on. And then 54 and a half percent from two. Here's an interesting thing, Harrison. You start to look at what – I always like to look at what does a season mean in the NBA? Like what are the big takeaways we should have? What are the trends we should be looking at? The mid-range game is coming back in a major way. And here's why. Because teams know that it's the worst shot – or the best shot you can give up. So they're willing to concede it more than anywhere else, and there's vulnerabilities in it. If you can be elite as a mid-range shooter – it's a phenomenal counter because you're just going to find yourself open from that range a lot. So I think every team needs to have it. Now, usually the guys taking those are high-volume guys, Kevin Durant, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, usually star players. But I think there is a value in having a Monte who is a really, really, really good mid-range pick-and-roll pull-up shooter because it just makes it so teams can't guard you in two spots, rim and three-point line. 
So to me, that those numbers, that even though they're marginal, the fact that he was able to do it on volume to me, I look at that and I go, that could be a weapon not just for Denver now, but in the playoffs, the mid-range. I agree. I've got that note here too. Monte took 38% of his shots from the mid-range. That put him in the 60th percentile league-wide. And he shot 48% from the mid-range. That's in the 90th percentile league-wide. You got to respect a guy who just knows his game. You know, like guys come into the league and teams will try to make them three and D guys or, or, you know, mold their shot profiles to fit, you know, better analytically. Monte has a nice shot profile, but you also just got to love how he knows what he's good at. He knows what his bread and butter is. He can get to that mid range pull up and knock it down. And I mean, we saw it in fourth quarters this season just because he hasn't been in that situation a lot. Usually that's Jamal Murray on the floor, but I felt comfortable with Monte Morris with the ball in his hands, dribbling into that mid-range pull-up at the end of games. There was a stretch in this season, fellas, where he was easily the number two guy, right? Behind Jokic, who would you want to have the ball in their hands right now in these clutch minutes? Um, And you saw the way teams defended his pick and roll with Jokic and how that changed across the season. Initially, just all this attention on Jokic and he's able to manipulate that gravity, that attention, particularly in the mid-range area. And then I know we'll get to these numbers later, so I don't want to jump ahead, get ahead of ourselves, but that even extended to the three-point line as well and the way teams were defending him there. Over the course of 82, Monte made himself less of just a sort of passive participant in this action with Jokic and a, a, a factor in putting pressure on the defense and, okay, how do we guard this beyond just that guy's really good? I got to highlight a comment here real quick, D-line from Vlada, who, by the way, is yeah. first team. He's the first team DNVR guy. He said, I just arrived. Sure, Are sure. D-line's neighbors still groaning and moaning? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great question. It's a great question. Really good, I yeah. Valid question. Uh, <laughs> I don't consider them to be neighbors. I consider them to be <laughs> well, uh, the people underneath me. Um, not moaning or groaning just yet. Don't believe any uh, private gym sessions are, are, have taken place. But you never know. Let's just see how long this goes. <laughs> It reminded me of an old Adam Sandler sketch, which I probably shouldn't share on here. The old moaning and groaning oh, okay. workout. Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, it literally, uh, like, that's, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. got something else for the private chat, Adam. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, is like, you don't typically in polite, regular society hear primal screens done at the top level of volume that, that a, an true. adult man yeah. can uh, yeah, produce. Really true. And when you hear it, it is breathtaking. I will say that. And when you hear <laughs> it over and over and over, it is inspirational and it's everything you ever wanted. You know, you know who's a really vocally expressive person is Brandon Spano. A little peek behind yeah, the curtain. Right. Brandon, like every emotion he feels elicits an, an auditory response. So you're kind of yes. like, oh, He's hungry. Like, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. He has the worst poker face in history. That's right. About yeah. everything. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, we got to get back on track here. Um, so the mid-range, Eric, do you have anything on Monte? The mid-range? I, I, here's, yes. Here's, okay, go for it. I'm just because he has gotten so much more comfortable. Like he used to uh, try to create floaters in which he got better at those as well but um last year we were talking about how good his finishing was and it really like improved a lot the season from the season before he was like you know like he was just became a a very very reliable finisher and this season he added like that super smooth reliable mid-range shot and three-point shot which i don't think any of us were expecting but like came at 
uh, a necessity because Jamal obviously was gone and those would typically be shots that he would be taking. And when you play with Jokic, like those are open. So like somebody has to knock them down. It's like, it's funny too, because like, I, I was just thinking when you were talking about like the plight of the mid shot in the modern NBA is like the most, it's like the most maligned shot, but like when dudes can hit them, it's just like, why don't you do that every time? Like a mid range well, shot because is you almost have to always hit open. Them at- you have to hit it yes. at such a high rate is the thing. And and even Monte is like right on the line. I mean, what does he make? 50, 56% of them or something like, it's so true. it's true. So that's basically, if he hits them at 56%, that's roughly a league average offensive efficiency on that. So it's even as a great percentage as that is, it's still not quite as valuable as other shots. Sure. But that being said, it's important to have that in your arsenal as a counter to win teams. Their structures are allowed. Don't let them get to the rim. Don't let them shoot threes on the pull-up. And it makes me wonder if we'll get to this a little bit later, but I, this specific part I want you to, to kind of file away is he, it, next year, probably playing a lot of minutes alongside Jamal Murray, maybe even more so than we've ever seen, not necessarily as a starter, but as just like how a rotation likely shakes out. He's probably on the court with him from time to time. And it might be the perfect counter. Two guys that can run pick and roll with Jokic at an elite level. One that's a three-point shooter, one that's a mid-range shooter. And it just makes the defense that much more, like, we got to guard all three zones now. And, and I think it could be valuable. One important thing, though, here is we talk about the efficiency here. His three-point shooting, 40.6% of his field goal attempts were threes. It's the highest mark of his career, which is meaningful. Um, 39.5%, it's the best that he's really shot other than his sophomore season, which was really his – his rookie season was in the G League, so he didn't really play much. So it was really his rookie NBA season um, where he had a, a higher percentage. But all the last three, not not the case. And then 42.1% on catch-and-shoot uh, threes was 39% the previous two seasons, so that's a slight increase. But here's the thing. He's a low-volume pull-up three-point shooter. Jamal Murray shot a lot more. If you want to talk about one of the biggest differences, Jamal Murray takes a lot of pull-up threes, and Monte Morris takes almost none. What Monte does do is take a lot of pull-up mid-range shots. So that's where you really see the difference in between one of the big differences between what they provide. Yeah. Um, I just got, I yeah. just got a flashback quickly. Sorry, I just got a flashback quickly of Jamal Murray in being incapable of hitting transition threes. <laughs> do you remember that? Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> No, I mean, the the increase in Monte's threes, he had to help try to make up for Murray and Michael Porter. I mean, Jamal Murray took six and a half threes per game last season. Michael Porter Jr. took 6.3. Like, there's just a lot to make up there. And and, and Monte did his part. Like, I don't think he should have been taking more threes than he did. Took a little over four per game. It's the right amount for him, I think. I don't remember him necessarily passing up that many shots or, or anything well, like but, that. But pull-up threes are created. Pull-up threes are like you ran a handoff and you go into right. it quick because you just yeah. are a great shooter and you have a green light there. He probably had the green light. He's just not a great pull-up three-point shooter. Yeah. An- another thing is some some of those pull-up threes are created in transition, of course. And Monte, like Monte loves to walk the ball up the floor. Like Monte is a very – like prototypical throwback methodical point guard who brings the ball up the floor, calls out a play and executes it. Like I would have liked to see him play with a little more pace at times. I think the nuggets wanted him to play with more pace at times this season too. I also think the pull-up thing is, is such a big part of being, you know, having this dynamic offense when you have that threat with Jokic at the five, that sort of, those are the backbreakers, right? 
just those pull-up threes coming out of those DHOs where you go, all right, I'm not really even sure how we adjust. <laughs> we just, right. That's a very dynamic shot, and that's a great guard. And if he's knocking those down, we're going to be in trouble uh, if Jokic right. is his pick-and-roll partner. And, like, that's sort of – it's a great way to look at the difference between Monte and Jamal, too, because I think Monte's approach across 82 games – it bore a lot of fruit. But then in the playoffs, there was just this ceiling in terms yeah. of challenging these defenses, putting pressure on them in different ways. And that was one element where I don't think any of us were clamoring to see more because he was probably bumping up against his ceiling. And this is where I think the Nuggets are at such an interesting point. If Jamal Murray were healthy for the last two years, this what I'm about to say would not be true. And that is that Going into next season, this year, Monte, because he was a lower volume player than Jamal Murray, and because Michael Porter is a you know a loud high volume player himself, you take those guys away, and the Nuggets played through Jokic more. They just had to. And I honestly think in the regular season, it's great if you played through Nikola Jokic every single possession. It's just as he's that good and it makes sense. But as to your point, there's a right. ceiling to that. You need to have all this di- dynamic. So if Jamal Murray and Michael Porter are healthy, all they never got hurt. I think the Nuggets would have leveled up with them in a way that even going away from Jokic would still be bearing fruit. Like Jamal Murray would just be better at picking his spots and carrying a team in those. Michael Porter is more of a threat, so you can go to him on ISOs more. The fact that they did get hurt, I look at next year and I go, everybody thinks like, oh, they won 48 games. They're a lock for 58 games next year. I go to win 10 more of those guys. And I do think there's something of more possessions for for MPJ when Yoke's on the court and more for Murray on the court might not mean better possessions in the short run, in the regular season. So that's one thing I think Denver's going to next year that will be uncomfortable for everyone is they're going to have to find the right balance there, and it's probably going to be a thing that takes months of growing pains. Ah, yeah, so totally agree. Point. Love when I make such a great point. Everybody <laughs> just has to There's nothing not worse than when you say something and you go, and then I just know, like, somebody better say some, make a noise of some. Or he's right going to make gonna that like, joke. Oh, it's a great, oh, great yeah. point. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you guys are the worst. The worst. <laughs> Absolute worst. All right, let's take a break. On the other side, we'll get into some more details about the assists. Uh, and then we got to start asking the big questions with him uh, about just where does he belong now with the team going forward. Uh, Breckenridge Brewery, guys, is the official beer of DNVR. I want to tell you to check out some Avalanche Amber Ale during the Avs playoff run. I don't know about you. Avalanche is like the first Breck brew that I can ever remember. Like exactly. definitely the first Breck brew I had was an Avalanche Amber. Uh, so make sure to pick some up during this Avs playoff run. If you're in the area, stop into the DNVR bar. Of course, we've got watch parties for every Avs game starting tonight. If you're not in the area, check out the Breck Brew Beer Locator. It will tell you where to get the Avalanche Amber closest to you. Also, Breck's doing this really cool deal with the Avalanche Amber right now. If you buy an Avalanche Amber at a bar and you're watching a game and the Avs score two goals in the first period, Breck is actually going to give you that beer for free. You have to upload your receipt on BreckBrew.com and they'll give you that beer for free via rebate so cool thing that breck brew is doing right there yeah order an avalanche avs will probably score two goals in the first period tonight boom it's free i love that man Avs better come out on fire tonight i know they had a little they better 
a little easing into we can are we done with the ad reads here we, uh... no we got uh DraftKings because the nba playoff action is non-stop <laughs> we're done when i say we're done at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba this week new customers can bet five dollars on any team to win get 150 dollars in free bets if they do also make sure to check out DraftKings same game parlays Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, like which team will win total threes made, total rebounds, and more. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit, so you get some insurance there. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DNBR. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game. Get $150 in free bets if they do. Promo code DNVR DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. On the flip side, Harrison is very handsome. I agree. I agree, Marisol. Very, very, very true. The close-up, it's very... That's why very I do the read. Um... We we have to spend some time later on. Maybe maybe later on in the show we'll talk about some of these series because that's an interesting point. We've been, we in our private chat we've been talking about Luca and sort of uh, watching him play. And I, it's kind of interesting. But let's keep it up on Monte now. Uh, four point four assists per game. This is a career high, up one point two from last season. Most of that has to do again with the more minutes, although down a per minute basis, I think that's up as well. Four point two assists to turnovers. That's down from five. Is it meaningfully down? Is that meaningful? Really. Four point two to Not five. Really. He went from second best to sixth best in the NBA. Yeah, I don't think. I it's think just though. with more minutes, he's going against starting level defenses. Definitely. More turnovers is is probably a little natural. And and the the inability to get the Jokic moments stretches stints closing those fourth quarters where just the team as a whole because of who they were missing, who they couldn't execute. There is just I think everyone probably suffered from that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And just like anecdotally, like watching them throughout the year, he was, there were times where he was just trying to do more than he maybe would have in the past. Like um, just strange turnovers by his standards, like not by anybody else in the NBA standards, but just like things where he would, you know, like the ball would be thrown to nobody or just like weird things you would never see Monte do. But it's because he's like trying to do more, trying to do, like he has to be the guy, like trying to step up, trying to make things happen when a lot of times the, the offense would be stagnant. Um, so I'm not really that surprised. It, to me, it's just, yeah, like it's just because more is asked and, and the t- competition's tougher. And I think the spacing, like, honestly, I think this was a harder year for anyone to navigate with the Nuggets, even with Jokic, just because of, you know, they were easier, easier team to figure out. Um, one of the interesting things, though, in the clutch, and listen to these numbers closely because I'm curious from you guys – how much you think this is a thing or not. The Nuggets ranked 19th in the clutch this season in terms of offensive rating, 19th. Uh, Last year, they were fourth. That's a pretty big difference. And when we talk about the Jamal-Monte difference, a lot of it is Monte and Jokic had a great chemistry, but a lot of that was the two playing off each other and Jokic would make something for one of them happen or so much attention there. There wasn't a lot of like Monte bailed him out with a crazy like just broke a guy down, which is what Jamal provides. Like he provides the... You have a great two-man game, and if it doesn't work, both guys can beat their guy one-on-one in ISO like half the time. Um, so 19th to fourth, I mean, that's a pretty big difference there, Harrison. Yeah, for the sure. And no, yeah, it's it's a huge drop-off. I mean, and it's not like it fluctuated that much during the season. I feel like from game one to game 82, they were pretty 
pretty bleh in in the clutch, especially on the offensive end. I mean, I think it just kind of came down to the talent. Like, there just wasn't the type of options you had to go to at the end of games like you did last year. And the defense knew exactly what they wanted to do. Like, Jokic was going to get the ball. You force the ball out of his hands, make somebody else beat you in the clutch. And it's it, it was just tough because the talent, just the top-end talent was not there the entire year. And that's what really separates in the clutch. Like, your role players, your bench can give you good minutes throughout the game. In the clutch, though, is when your best players rise to the top. And Denver is just missing a couple of their clutches players this season. It's uh, J J27, who's always complaining in the chat. He says, we had MPJ last season, which is true. Like, yeah, you swap Jeff Green and MPJ off from an offensive perspective. That's an enormous difference. So, like, this was not just a Monte Jamal thing. This is also an MPJ thing for absolutely to be sure. And it ended up being Monte. We talked about maybe being Barton and it ended up being Monte in those moments. And so when we talk about the difference, it kind of ends up sounding like, okay, here's all the stuff Monte couldn't do. He was a fine option. It's just that it should have been Jamal. And those are the moments where you miss Jamal as much as any, in my opinion, in, in yeah. the clutch. In, in the One of my favorite things about the Jokic era Nuggets is how good they have been in the final five minutes yep. of close yep. games because of those two. And this year, not quite that much. And then you go to the other side, Eric, and this year they were 12th in clutch defensive rating. Last year they were 18th. The difference between 12th and 18th, not that much. Like you're just talking about a, a small margin. But that leads it to an overall last year in the clutch. They were 7th prior to the Jamal Murray injury. And this year they were 13th. Is that a meaningful difference to you in clutch situations? I mean, I... I... You know, I'm not a I'm not a nerd like you guys. I don't like like use numbers and things like that yeah, to quantify point. what I'm yeah. seeing on the on the basketball court. But like just again, anecdotally, I test it, it was meaningful. Like they you know, they they got broken down in, in clutch moments quite a bit. Um much more so than you know, outside of Jokic's like heroics and getting blocks in the the final moments i mean like against the warriors that was that's what ultimately did them in they lost two games in the clutch when they were either in control or were in a position to win um so i mean absolutely yeah. at, at the end of games it was it was so interesting because i remember a lot of times this season were just like two minutes left the nuggets really need a basket and they just jack up some contested three early in the shot clock. I just don't remember the execution late in games being particularly good this season. And I think a lot of that probably had to do with not having Jamal. And like the only time I felt good about the late game execution was when Jokic would be running up the court and saying, Aaron Gordon, go stand in this corner. Jeff Green, <laughs> go stand in the dunker. Austin Rivers, no, you're actually in the other corner on this play. Like, yeah. that is the only time I felt good about whatever play Denver was going to run here and that they were going to get a good shot. That being said, I don't think that any of this is Jamal's – or, I'm sorry, Monte's fault. Like, right. a lot of this is he doesn't have the dynamic one-on-one -on -one scoring punch that Jamal does, dynamic, like, break guys down. But I think he did everything else. And when you say you don't remember the late game, there were times where I thought those two were phenomenal together. In fact, they even – There were times, yeah. It after the game where you're like, man, those two really know how to play together. And to me, it's actually one of the big takeaways was those two guys played together in the clutch for 70 games this year or whatever it was, it was a lot of games. And that is going to serve Denver next year, assuming they bring Monte back 
whether he starts, whether he closes, or whether it's just sometimes here or there, those two guys, I think, have a chemistry that they've always had, but that's been refined this year to a point where they just know exactly what you get out of each other. And if you add him to a closing lineup that features Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., defensively, we'll see. There's going to be teams that that's going to be vulnerable against and teams that it's not. But offensively, forget who the fourth guy is, probably Aaron Gordon, but forget it for a second. MPJ, Murray, Jokic, Monte, you're going to get good shots every time every with time. that four guys on the court if, if they're on the court together. So, um, yeah. so Monte, he always makes the right play. And I remember Nikola Jokic saying this after a game this season, probably after a game where they like closed with the two-man game. But he goes... Yeah, like I like playing with Monte because he plays the game the right way. And, you know, like that's what Nikola Jokic does every single time down the floor. So I feel like those two have a synergy partly because of that, because they just both have the same outlook on basketball. Right. Defensively, here's what I would say about Monte. And I'm curious if you guys agree. I don't think he's a negative defensive player. He's not a positive one either, though. Like, I, he doesn't make mistakes. He gets, but he does. He's too small to contest sometimes against guys out on the perimeter, fighting through screens. You know, he does it at an average job. I just, to me, he's not, a, he's not a weakness, but it is one of those things where when we do talk about next year, who is your closing two or closing, closing lineup, there are going to be times when I think you can do it, but there's also going to be times, maybe it's Shea Gilchis Alexander, you know, and, and Josh Giddy, two tall, dynamic players. Are you too small for that combination? Like there's going to be groups there that maybe he his height doesn't matter. But I don't think he's a negative or necessarily a positive impact defender. I think he's that. negative. I think he's negative. Really? I, but I, I think it's all more tenable in a different environment, right? Like did, there are a lot of guards who aren't great defenders who can survive in the right context. And like th- everyone suffered from what this group was missing defensively. That was a cascading effect by the final third of the season, no one no one wanted to play defense anymore, or even could. Um, and so I do think, like, okay, if it was Monte alongside Lou Dort and a good wing defender, you survive that. Uh, but I oh survive, I think you thrive. Like you don't need sure. this is the thing is you don't need to have, especially if you're talking about a second unit. No team has a bench of five elite defenders. I agree with that, but I, I did think, to me, one of the big things I learned about what Monte can't do this year, I just. He can get some steals in some nice moments, but I just think there's a limit on, on what he's physically capable of doing to keep guys in front of him. Yeah. yeah. Eric, you got anything? Well, I mean, I, I Monte Morris to me, like he, I don't view him as a great defender. I view him as a guy that gets uh, kind of abused from time to time, but I also don't view, I mean, it's kind of like the way that I view all of Monte's game is that he's just like, He's like exactly what you expect. Like he, he never makes like catastrophic mistakes. He never also like is not a, somebody that you just like put on a Chris Paul or like a, some, or a, a fat, like Monte's issues are always like with fast guards. Like he always gets blown by, by like uh, Ish Smith is of the world. And, um, <laughs> um, but like for the most part, like he's positionally in the right place. He, he just kind of does everything right. He's just like the ultimate, like fundamentals, player and that like transcends every part of his game he obviously has like physical um set he's just not you know he's not the biggest guy he's not the fastest guy but he's like the guy you can rely upon and so for me it's like again perfect perfect for your backup point guard because he'll be able to handle the other team's backup point guard am i slowing down again i see adam's grin (laughs) Uh, i think you're gonna make it i think you're gonna make it (laughs) 
Okay. Well, yeah, and I'm done. Go. Okay. I think you're right. He's solid. I think where his areas are best, and maybe these qualify as solid, is he doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's a better, above, well above average from as a mid range shooter. And I actually think he's above average as a finisher. Like some of his drives, it, the one on one, like fast break where he has one defender to beat and it's a taller defense, like Paul George, you know, he has to take. He's just, he got so good at finishing those on crazy angles. He's a really good, difficult shot finisher at the rim. Uh, we shot 68% at the rim, 90, <laughs> 90th percentile among guards. And maybe his most underrated trade is just how well he finishes at the rim. All right, let's get into some of the fun stuff in segment three. Uh, after this, we'll we'll do uh, start talking about what does it mean going forward. But first off, best game. Do you guys have some nominations for best game of the year for Monte Morris? What do you got, Harrison? Help us out, the, chat. The win over the Clippers, uh, one thirty to one twenty eight. Yeah, it's um, a good stat line. Of course, that was the game. Nico Jokic had forty nine, but Monte <laughs> Morris in this game nineteen nine and nine. Two steals, zero turnovers in 44 minutes. I, You know how happy I would have been this year if he got a triple-double? Do you know how happy Man. I would have been? Yeah, That would have been the best game ever the whole year if Monte Morris would have pulled <laughs> up a triple-double. I would have been like, hell yeah, big game. Take. Fat Lever-esque. The, the win they got in the playoffs where he shot five of five from three in the third quarter. I mean, The that, third quarter. Uh, and that was in response to a abysmal first half shooting performance, which is in response to a nightmare shooting performance in the game prior. And the other thing about Monte's threes this season, fellas, is to me it felt like half of them were high leverage. Just you know, you know those threes that just feel like, oh, you got, you need this one. And it felt yeah, yeah. to me like he was always Monte, and he, and he hit yeah. him that night. I think it's because it really Monte is the most important nugget outside of Yoke this year in terms of like when he played well, the Nuggets tended to win. And when he played poorly, the Nuggets tended to lose games they weren't supposed to. D-line? It's probably true. It's probably true. I mean, Monte was like also um, – he did hit a lot of those shots. It was, it was wild. Like it was always in Monte's hands. Is he – I mean, I don't know if that speaks to him being like – not trusted to hit shots by the other team so they allow him to get open or he's like more elusive or he's like uh running the play better so he, he and Jokic are more on the same page i mean there's probably a variety of issues but he did hit a lot of like big leverage trees he also missed a lot too i mean like he is, <laughs> you know what i mean like he, he wasn't like the guy that you needed but like there were times where you're like okay cool monte's got it and then there are other times you're like all right, well, I don't know who else I want to take this, so let's go. All right, Monte, suit up. Let's go. So he had the 1999 game that you mentioned, Harrison. He also had a 13-8-8 game, uh, and that came against New Orleans in January, and that was officially the, oh, uh, Big Monte. That was officially the Big Monte game. Actually, I didn't know this until I was looking for the clip. The Nuggets had – he, you had the Jokic, ah, Big Monte moment, and then like two months later he said it again. I don't know if you guys knew, yeah. know this. Yeah. Do you remember that, Harrison? Yeah, I do remember that. I I don't remember what game it was after. I mean, it was March 26th. Let me see if that makes sense. I don't think that would It was a win against Oklahoma City, so I think it was that one. There was also a game. I actually think this was also. But he only had five rebounds in that game? Yeah, whatever. No, five assists. Did he have a big shot late or something, I think? Maybe, maybe. That's why. There was also, besides the game winner, I think there was another Golden State game where he was really good in the fourth, and I think they put – I think they ended up changing who guarded him in the pick and roll in the fourth quarter <laughs> to try to get some more length on him, and that was just around the time when we started thinking about, okay, Monte in the fourth feels like a weapon right now. So. Right. 
Yep. Um, definitely had a, a couple of clutch baskets, as you mentioned. He had two against – everybody remembers the game winner against Golden State, but he actually had another – he had the last two buckets of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was a steal coast-to-coast coast, uh, against Sacramento. That was a late game one. And then I don't remember what the one was against the Lake, uh, against the Warriors that preceded the game winner, but it was another big one. So it's, It was a had, layup, I think. A layup. He had a couple clutch games in there. Is there any other big moments we could think of with Monte that that's the how big winner? Well, the game winner, of course. Yeah, that's the that's the one. I'm so, that was such a fun one too, man. An actual true game winner, buzzer beater, game winner. Sending you and sent the Nuggets into the All Star break on a on an upswing, which is there's certain games that are more important throughout the year. Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. if you get the TV, you know the uh, Martin Luther King Day games, and then like. The game right before the All-Star break is kind of a sneaky big one. Like, what you're going to have to sit on that for, like, nine days. Yeah. It also made it so, like, that Monte Morris game winner, that's that's going to be a, not iconic shot. I'd say semi-iconic. Like, that, that's going to be a game winner that we, we remember. The Monte Morris game winner. Like, yeah. It's on yeah, his reel. Yeah. yeah, that closes his reel. Oh, the, the Warriors game. game. Yeah, right, we, yeah, we'll remember that. That's <laughs> so true. He now joins Wancho for the Wancho game. Gary Harris for the Gary Harris shot. Like there's, there is something about the Gary Harris shot that I just don't see being topped though. Like maybe that's the nostalgia kicking in, but that just won't be top that a regular season game winner will never be better than that Gary Harris game winner. I think you're right because Yoke has like 10 of them over his career. The Gary Harris one is still like the top game winning play that we never did even make the playoffs that year. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) In my head, I too, I'm like, oh, the glory days. It's yeah, also, the, the Nuggets were punching <laughs> up. That was punching up at the Thunder, which is always fun. I'm telling you, like the Pelicans this year it was, were the team that had the most fun season because the expectations yeah. were so low and everything they right. did was punching right. upwards. It feels it's fun. That that game winner also just everything that happened around it was perfect. Like the pass, then the runoff yeah. the court. Yeah. Like that, that's that also why I won't be top. That's a big part of it. The can- the angles we got on the pass, yeah. you're right. Like the baseline angle is so good. Yeah, it was fun. All right, let's hit a break. On the other side, we got to get to the big topics today, which is, of course, all this Monte love. But what happens next with him? Is he a key piece going forward? Is he expendable? Um, what do we expect? And then also, what combinations are we, we look most forward to next year with him on the Nuggets? If you guys weren't able to watch Nuggets and Avs games this season, Evoca TV, they're taking over the world. Uh, go to evoca.tv slash dnvr. They've got Altitude Sports. They've got a bunch of other national channels as well. Uh, now available in Colorado and Denver in Colorado Springs. Go to evoca.tv slash dnvr. Use promo code dnvr. You're going to get $10 off your first three months of Evoca TV. That's only $15 per month for the first three months. You also get a receiver with that. No contracts. No hidden fees, just $15 a month for those first three months. Go to ifaka.tv slash DNVR to get set up for next season. Get that done ahead of time. Uh, ifaka.tv slash DNVR. Um, also at Lightshade Dispensary. Right now you can pick up some Wana. Need to catch up on some shut-eye after the big game. No matter when you take them, this well-rounded recipe will leave you feeling rested and refreshed in the morning. Wana Optimal's Fast Asleep Gummies. They offer a holistic plant-based solution that tackles the root causes of sleepiness like stress and pain. Fast-acting sleep aid 
It will have your eyelids feeling heavy in just 5 to 15 minutes. You can get Juana at Colorado's premier dispensary light shade with 11 convenient Denver Metro and Aurora locations. The Barnum location, one block off six and federal is now open. You guys can get 25% off non-sale items with the code DNVR. Again, that's 25% off non-sale items with the code DNVR. Shop online at lightshade.com or pick up at a light shade location near you. All righty, we back here. Final segment. Most important one now as we turn our attention here. Um, the first one, let's just assume he's back for a second. How much do you think this, the experience of this season, playing as many minutes as he did, will translate into next season? And namely, would it make you more inclined to play him and Jokic together more minutes next year? Meaning maybe you stagger Murray more next year because you're like, hey, we can do that now. What do you think, D-Line? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, the, the the one thing that we can take from this year is that guys that wouldn't normally get shining roles got shining roles and they got to like feel what that was like and not have the star player in front of them that they could just rely on. And so Monte like was put in a position where he had to be the starting point guard on a playoff team. He had to step up and be the guy. Um, so like, like for me, just watching him improve and watching his confidence grow and watching uh, him just become more of a, uh, like a really pivotal player in the Nuggets world outside of just being Mr. Nugget. We love him. He's like cool guy. And like Monte became like a player, like a guy that we like really look towards, like a guy we absolutely need. And if you can have a guy that's coming in that has that, has that like swag that he's built up from just doing it and like getting like every year on the job, you get better and better. The longer you play, the better you get. And especially like the more opportunity you're given, the more you're able to grow to the size of your uh, fishbowl. And um, I, I just saw like so much improvement in him. I just think like he's going to be, it, it, I, it would be a, a real bummer if the Nuggets cultivated him from a second round pick to build him up to this level. And then they did not re-sign him and reap the benefits of, of what they, they brought to him and like how they improved his game. Yeah, I think he's going to be especially big at the beginning of the season because, yeah, Jamal Murray's got this whole offseason to to get right and to get back. Those first couple weeks, and he even said this at his exit interview on Friday, like those first couple weeks are going to be rough still. Like he's not going to have played in an NBA game, Jamal Murray, for 18 months. Like it's a long time, man. Uh, he'll play in the preseason, of course, but – they're going to need Monte at the beginning of the season, I think, to to still play a pretty big role. Not as big as he played this year, um, because Jamal will be back and you know playing, maybe not his regular minutes, but ramping up to that. Uh, but but they'll need Monte to be really good at the start of next season. So I, I definitely think the the trust that that Denver had in him this year, and I think they've got more trust in him now than they, they did last year. But I think that's definitely going to help. So here's the question for you, Vote. If Yoke plays, let's say, 33 minutes a game next year, how do you break down his minutes with Jamal, with Bones, and with Monte? Like, how would you personally divvy those up? That's a really good question, Adam. Put Thanks, man. Spot. Yeah. I don't know if I have the answer to that yet. Um let me let me see here how many minutes. So I mean, last... look, I, ideally you want Nico Jokic or Jamal Murray on the floor, yeah, I'm at all fine. times probably, unless you think Michael Porter can can manage that second unit by himself. 
so, so here's here's your reference points just just to go back last year the nuggets played Jokic and murray together 28 and a half minutes 28 and a half they played monte and Jokic 17 minutes and then Compazzo 14 and a half you had uh gary harris 28 and a half so there's room in there for like the start barton 27 so it looks like starters minutes would be like 28 and a half, but maybe it's less. Maybe you think like, hey, we actually need less Murray-Jokic together next year because we need Murray more with other other lineups. I don't know. Yeah, I do think that's possible. I do think that's possible that you see Murray carrying the bench more, although Miroslav made that point in the comments that it might take a while for Murray to get that comfortable on the court to where he's he's willing to take on that workload. But look, to the general question, whether it's, you don't want to start Murray on the second half of a back-to-back in the first third of the season, whether it's uh, changing your rotation. I think you're comfortable with Monte and Jokic on the floor at the same time, almost regardless of, of who the other three guys are. So there's that much more flexibility with it. Um, that'll be an interesting thing, though, to see you know, how they handle the staggering and the firepower off the bench. Malone did say the plan this year was Michael Porter Jr. to stagger, uh, but I do think ultimately a healthy, confident Jamal might be your best option. So let's say, D-Line, that Michael Porter Jr. is the bench stagger guy. He plays the fewest minutes with Jokic of the starters, but the most with the bench where he's the guy. Do you want to see more minutes then with Jokic with Bones, more Jokic more minutes with Monte? Who? Uh, probably Monte. Probably Monte, like... Uh... Bones is a guy that can create his own shot more so than Monte can. And Monte, I mean, it's tough because like, okay, do you want Bones to be able to get passes from Jokic behind the arc uh, and be able to take advantage of that? But like Bones doesn't necessarily need that. You know what I mean? Like Mm. Monte is able, Monte probably benefits more from Jokic than Bones does. Not that they both don't benefit immensely. It's just that Bones has an element to his game that Monte doesn't necessarily have. But I more than anything, I just like I imagine them the freedom of being able to stagger all these guys and like not do hockey lineups, just have you know, you sometimes you want the flamethrower to come in, you'd have bones, and sometimes you want like order to be restored, so you have Monte come in, Jamal's on the court uh, as much as possible, Jokic is on the court with all these combinations of players. Um, there's just, there's, I don't know, like if, if you have like a really healthy roster, you can sort of like allow, and a player like Jokic, you can sort of like tailor the people that are around him to the situation as it but that's what I, this is part of what I'm wondering, Wind. If you forget about what the bench looks like, do you prefer, like what gets you most excited? Jokic plus Monte and Murray, Murray and Bones, or Monte and Bones? Murray and Bones, for sure. <laughs> so you want Absolutely. The ultimate I, Yeah. Like, do I want Bones to start at shooting guard next year? Maybe. Like, maybe I'd be down for that. <laughs> I'd probably be down for that. Like, that'd be ridiculously fun. I'm here for that. Um, no, I'm I'm good with Monte running the bench with, with those guys. And I'm just sitting here thinking about Jamal Murray and Bones Highland sharing the floor together. Like Bones Highland being able to break his man down off the dribble with Jamal Murray, like coming off a screen. Whew. Yeah. Man. And Michael Porter Jr. in the corner. Like, oh, yeah. Jesus. Him too. I don't know how that team defends. We'll have to wait and see the buy in, the connectedness, all of that, the scheme. 
but offensively, you would think. I mean, part of me wonders too what the ceiling is for an offense. Like the Nuggets have a 117 offensive rating. Right. How much higher can it possibly get? Is it 120? Is it 122, 123? Or is it really just like where it's so great that it just breaks every team and it doesn't matter? And it could be that part, honestly. I don't know. Um, part of me does think that if you think about combo, I would love to see the Murray um, Bones lineup too, just because I think that's a fun ass yeah. lineup. But I do wonder if you start talking about what do stagger lineups look like, I do wonder if Monte and Bones makes the most sense with Jokic, and that leaves Monte and Murray or off the bench with Michael Porter, because then that's a really good staggered bench lineup as well. And that might be it. And then your closing lineup sometimes features Monte, sometimes features Bones, sometimes features whoever the other guard is, shooting guard, who's probably more of a defensive player. So that's just one of the things. I will say, I am team, I don't think the Nuggets need to trade one of Bones or Monte this offseason. I could see it happening if the right deal came around and Denver you know, felt like they could major upgrade their roster because there is a little bit of redundancy there. But I think more important is I trust all three of those guys to play with Jokic at a very high level. And to me, that's really important. And they can't all defend, but you just spend the rest of your assets on the defensive players around those three. The only um, real yeah. appeal in trading Monte is just he's good enough, right? Like if you're yeah. trying to get a legitimately good perimeter defender and not just whoever's on the top of the heat, um, your bet like Monte is one of your best chances, right? At moving value to get value back. There's there's diminishing assets these days in Denver. If you just got rid of Monte, say you did trade him and you said Bones is our backup point guard for the next year, how does that affect the team in your opinion, Harrison? Um it's tough because like I think Bones is totally ready for that. I mean, he played half a year at backup point guard this year. He was good enough by the end of the year, I think, to play that role full time in the regular season. Yeah, um, true. Is he gonna? Is Bones Highland next year gonna be as good as Monte Morris is gonna be next year? Probably not. Probably not. Higher ceiling, but, lower floor. Oh, for sure. Higher ceiling, lower floor. He's gonna have way more peaks and valleys. But I wonder if those two are kind of comparable to what they could give you next year i really do wonder that so the question then becomes is it that the team is better with both of them or is it that you use that asset towards something else lou dort is somebody said lou dort's garbage he's not garbage kcp is probably more in line with what you could trade a a monte for lou dort is more like you got to trade actually a lot more future assets. I mean, that's what Oklahoma City wants. They don't and Zeke they don't, and picks and all that. Zeke right? and picks yeah. or bones and you know, like you and, and a pick. So it would be something like that if you were trying to get such a good play. Lou Dort's one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA. Like when you start talking about bolstering your defense, he's right there and he's not a negative on offense. He's at least a neutral. He's a weird other, offense player, but the other thing about this conversation is you know, it's tough when the timelines start getting they're not quite lined up, but Obviously, you want to put the best team you can on the floor as possible next year. But, you know, also, is there something to let's just get Bones those reps now, not as the two guard, but the point guard off the bench and and just as many minutes, as many reps with the ball in his hands could even benefit you by the time you enter the postseason. Is this a guy that can be a weapon and, right. and not just like, a, OK, there was that one spurt and that was fun to see. But is this guy a yeah. a, a Jordan Poole-esque asset yeah. heading into the playoffs? I think the reason they wouldn't trade Monte is like Tim Conley would look at this roster and say, okay, if Jamal Murray and, and Monte and Bones Highland are like, you know, my, my 
three guard rotation at, at my three man rotation at point guard, I'm pretty set. Like, like that's a very good you know, trio to have bringing the ball up for you throughout the game. And all those guys can play with each other. They can um, all play all off the, ball too. Yep. They can yeah, also yeah. do one or the two. Yeah. Right. Like all those guys are super interchangeable. And I wonder if Conley would just look at that and say, like, why would I, like, why would I break that up? Like, we know those guys work. The grass is always greener. You would, I, I could see that happening. You would have to have some really good length and defensive players that might end up leapfrogging one of those guys in a playoff series. Just inevitably, you might go up against some bigger sized bodies that you need. So that's the hard part is maybe it's an Austin Rivers and another player that's like you have to spend money on that you is maybe not your top three guards. But that's just the breaks. Like this is where you are as a roster that you kind of have to plan for that and, and adjust as you go. Now, here's the big one, guys. Let's say the Nuggets are a true championship team. We believe they are going to be next year, but we'll have to see how the cards, everything comes out. What is Monte Morris's role on this team if they are a championship team? What is he doing for the team? I'll let you start, D-Line. Well, I think more often, like, the thing you have to, like, remember when evaluating rosters that like, I don't feel like people ever really take into consideration is how long a fucking NBA season is and, like, how you want guys that can, like, Am I? Am I? Am I? No. Somebody said vote sitting on phone phone books, (laughs) (laughs) which is just like a rude thing to say for no reason. No, just sitting sitting in silence. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough because I've had uh, I've had internet issues. I I don't know what's happening. Sometimes Uh, I just see a shit eating grin on Adam's face. I don't know what uh, why he's eating it, but okay for that. (laughs) But the point is, is that it's like you want guys that are that know how to play with Jokic that are able to successfully play alongside him that can come in in important moments in December, can come in in important moments in like January, like war of attrition stuff. Like it's. And I, for me, it's that he is part of a, a part of a platoon that is able to successfully pair alongside Nikola Jokic at any point in time, or it can, you know, give um, just order to that second unit. I mean, I, I want Bones to get starting point guard minutes, starting point guard or at least back point guard minutes. I definitely want him to play the point a lot because I agree with you, Vote, like that he's shown us he's been able to do it and we've seen rapid growth in that and he has like a a sense for playmaking that i think needs to be cultivated but i just i have a hard time getting rid of monte after everything we've gone through with him like we we really got him to the place where he is a perfect complement to almost any roster that's on the floor he played 25 and a half minutes last year does he would in a championship team does he play more or fewer minutes than that fewer absolutely fewer, yeah i mean he's your backup guard at the one or the two so he's a 22 minutes per game guy. 22 minutes. And your best shot at keeping like order on the floor beyond playing Jokic every conceivable second, right? So is there more value in just having these dynamic options off the bench, whether that's Murray Porter staggering, Bones looking like that dude, or just sort of knowing that even if you go to this bench look and Jokic isn't playing, there's order. There's a, there's a semblance of, of half-court offense uh, beyond what we saw at times this past season, but I don't, I don't know. As Bones grows into his role, this question becomes increasingly relevant. I love Monte. I prefer he's in Denver his entire career, but there, there are plenty of reasons to look at the re- potential redundancy here, particularly because these are two of your best assets. 
in a vacuum, he's a 27 minute per game player. Like he's somewhere between a starter and a bench guy. Like he's he's better than that. But yeah, he's better than most backup point guards, but worse than the you know mid level starters. Right, right. So the question then becomes: Next year, is he a overqualified and overpaid 21, 22 right. minute per game player? And right. maybe he is, but he brings. I do think there's something too. He's like part of the soul of this team. You know, that's the reason he's Mr. Oh, yeah. Nugget. Everybody loves him. Like, you can't imagine anybody saying a bad word about Monte. Um, he gets it. He's been through this. Like, you don't have to teach him anything. He already knows everything about how this team works. So that's really valuable. Wind, I'll let you kind of get the final word on this. Just what's funny is all of our discussions when we're talking about the uh, Monte and Bones and, and do you have to pick between them is we all assume that Will is gone. Because if Will is here then I think there's no question that one of those two guys would have to go. Like if Denver said, no, we're committed to Will Barton. I just, then I'm like, well, Will Barton can handle, he can shoot, he can't defend. And now you need somebody to defend. So one of those two guys got to go, but I, I don't think that's the case. I think the nuggets move on from Will Barton. What's the question. Do they move on from Will? No, but just like, where do you see the, Monte's uh, role uh, on a championship? Like they win a championship. What's he doing for them? Yeah, I think he's just your rock on the bench unit. Uh, I mean, like, that's his best role. That's who Monte is. He's he's your steady hand at point guard who's going to run his unit, not make a lot of mistakes, and, you know, help get the best out of the guys he's playing with on the floor. Like, can he step in and be the starter? Absolutely. Like, he did that this season. He performed, I think, as well as we all expected him to. But on a championship team, I think he's your backup. Incoming. It'd be fun to see him back in that role too, because the bench was such a desperate search and scramble for something, anything, any utility. You're watching guys in the playoffs, six, seven, eight men, right? Come in off the bench and just knock down their shots, just step into a mid-range jumper and it's money because they're open. And you're like, oh man, Denver doesn't have any of those guys, you know? And it's like, well, it, it should be Monte. That should be exactly what he's doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Another yeah. aspect, and you you hit on it, Adam. Like Monte is the Nuggets. He's so much about what the Nuggets culture is, and like the Nuggets have brought in a lot of new faces, and they've I felt like made a lot of heat checks over the last couple of years, from Michael Porter to Isaiah Thomas to Demarcus Cousins, and it's still important to have that that sense of like who you are, and right. and that's what Monte is, and. You know, if they do trade Will Barton this season, like it's going to be Monte, Jokic, and Jamal. Like that's, you know, the Nuggets culture and foundation right there. So I don't think you can kind of gloss over just, just what he means to kind of the fabric of the organization. I think you, I think one of the things I think about is if you have those three guys back, let's say you have Austin Rivers back as well. I do think it's really important for you to back to nail the backup small forward role. Like that's got to be another versatile defender that could slide over and play two. So if you had to go to a lineup that featured two wing defenders, you could go to Jamal Austin rivers and like Jay Sean Tate or Josh Hart or one of these type players where it's like a really good player that, Hey, Monte and bones are both off, but it doesn't matter. You're still, you still have a really different, but good lineup. And so to me, that's the thing. I love Monte. I think he's back next year. I thought there was a time when I thought maybe they trade him. Still possible. I would say it's more like 70-30, but I think he's probably back. And I think that's probably an exciting thing because I just love watching him play. He's a big part. I'm ready for this team to evolve into their next form. I do feel like 
I do feel like next year the team is going to be different. It's going to be a little bit of a, a another era, sub-era starting for the Nuggets. But I don't think it's so much that a player like Monte will be gone. Um, and that's kind of my hope. So I hope not because naming another Mr. Nugget, that would be a very emotional episode. Dude, like I'm, I'm not, ready I'm not for looking forward to that. I'm not. I'm not. Except Dude. until we have Bones on the show and we literally hand him You're, a crown. Oh, yeah, awesome. but it's it's – the oh first Mr. God. Nugget is always going to be, you know, a special, he was actually the, he was the second. He was the, the second, second Mr. Nugget. Second Mr. Nugget. <laughs> but he's held Mr. Nugget for the longest. Is, is That's the saying. thing. And we already lost the first one. I mean, to, if you, if Gary and Monte are gone, so this is just like full on a different era, even if it is still Malone Murray. Yeah. Brendan just shows up like, oh, sorry, the. The dog we had went to a, a farm, but his new dog, it's fine. Uh, he, same name <laughs> as the previous dog. Uh, off you go. <laughs> so messed up. All right, everybody, that does it for today's Tuesday edition. We're going to be back again tomorrow for a hump day edition. Guess who's on deck, guys? Aaron Gordon. Should be a Good. very interesting. Aaron Gordon's going to have the most like <laughs> interesting like sort of thing. So we'll be digging into that. You guys can start your research now in the chat for best game, best moment for Aaron Gordon. Send yeah, go get us. to work, chat. Get, to, get work, to work, guys. <laughs> get to work. Thanks, everybody. We'll Send me notes.